9. Tonight we're going to be in Judges chapter 9. The last time we came together and went in Judges, we were in Judges chapter 8, which saw the end of Gideon's reign. Um, today we're going to see the beginning of Gideon's son Abimelech's reign. And it's not uh, a happy story. It's actually very tragic. Uh, sometimes we go through the scripture and it's very uplifting. Sometimes we see a commentary on history and human behavior that uh, may not be really exciting to go through, but there's certainly lessons that we can learn. And in this particular portion of scripture, we're going to learn a lot about leadership, although from the negative side, <laughs> what's bad leadership in this book. Okay, we're going to start with verse 1. And Abimelech, the son of Jerubbabel, which was another name for Gideon, went to Shechem, to his mother's brothers, and spoke with them and with all the family of the house of his mother's father, saying, Please speak in the hearing of all the men of Shechem. Which is better for you, that all seventy of the sons of Jeroboam reign over you, or that one reign over you? Remember that I am your own flesh and bone. And his mother's brother spoke all these words concerning him in the hearing of all the men of Shechem. And their heart was inclined to follow Abimelech, for they said, He is our brother. So they gave him seventy shekels of silver from the temple of Baal-bereth, with which Abimelech hired worthless and reckless men. <laughs> There's the scriptures for you. And they followed him. Then he went to his father's house at Ophrah and killed his brothers, the seventy sons of Jerubal, on the stone. But Jotham, the youngest son of Jerubal, was left because he hid himself. And all the men of Shechem gathered together, all of Beth Milo, and they went and made Abimelech king beside the terebinth tree at the pillar that was in Shechem. So, of course, we're starting off with uh, some of Gideon's sons start to grow up. Abimelech is, is dead at this point in time. I'm sorry, Gideon. And uh, Abimelech, along with, I guess, 69 other brothers and who knows how many sisters, uh, were from uh, Gideon's different concubines, sleeping partners all around Israel. So it kind of actually goes to show you, we see what a tragic story this is, and even the sin of Gideon in his later years, um, by not taking one, one wife, as it's, it's spelled out in Scripture, but to have all these women spread all around, and then um, you know, he's got all these sons all over the place. So Abimelech, you know, he wants this power. He, he sees that he's uh, one of 70 heirs, and he wants to do something about it. So what Abimelech does is he goes to Shechem, where his mother's family is from, because he, he's got this plan to rule by himself and get rid of all of his other brothers. Now the plan is to get the people to choose him as their leader, and really he does it out of fear. He basically tells them, listen, you could have me, or you could have all of us rule over you, and really, if you have any of these other guys rule over you, they're not from Shechem. So, you know, they're not going to understand your needs and your wants. He's a really good politician here. But what happens is the plan works. They decide that's pretty interesting. So they, you know, they elevate this guy. This is a great example we see of ambitious leaders, a lust for leadership. If you ever hear somebody say, I deserve to be in this position of leadership, especially in ministry, run. Okay? It's, it's I want to elevate myself into this position. Versus a humble leader that even sometimes you see that maybe they need to be coaxed by God. 
In verse 4, just to give you a little details here, because there's a lot to this chapter. In verse 4, Abimelech uses blood money from the pagan temple to hire the dregs of society as these mercenaries. And what does it say right there? It says, Abimelech hired worthless and reckless men, and they followed him. So if that's not a picture of, again, the worst of the worst, you know, he finds the lowest of the low, and he, he uses that money to get these mercenaries. I could just picture like those pirate movies, you know, they got the, the rings in their ears and the swords and, you know, the ripped shirts, who knows. And verse 5, what you see here is Abimelech kills all of his half-brothers. Now, I like to try to make the Bible come alive. I don't just like to read over it. Okay, we got our reading done for the night. I actually have two half-brothers, um, different, a different mom, same dad. And my brothers get on my nerves sometimes. But I can't imagine them doing anything, even a leadership issue, you know, that I would want to kill them. So this guy is really heartless. I mean, he's just a heartless man. Um, and you, you see, too, that many men model this lust for power and glory after what? As I was studying this, who else, way back in the beginning, had this lust for power and glory? Satan, right. I will be like the Most High. I will ascend. You know, I will, I will get that worship and receive that worship. Um, and even Jesus says, those that follow Satan will follow his traits. He says, he's the father of lies, you know, and he's your father. Well, in this case, those people who lust for power and glory, in that manner, as we see Abimelech does, their father is, is really Lucifer. He started the whole thing. And it always ends in tragedy, as we'll see. Verse 7, next chunk here. Now, when they told it to Jotham, he went and stood up on top of Mount Gerizim and lifted his voice and cried out and said to them. It's kind of like a, one of the earliest parables. He says this, very interesting. Listen to me, you men of Shechem, that God may listen to you. The trees once went forth to anoint the king over them. And they said to the olive tree, reign over us. But the olive tree said to them, should I cease giving my oil with which they honor God and men and go sway over trees? Then the tree said to the fig tree, you come and reign over us. But the fig tree said to them, should I cease my sweetness and my good fruit and go to sway over trees? Then the tree said to the vine, you come and reign over us. But the vine said to them, Should I cease my new wine, which cheers both God and men, and go sway over trees? Then all the trees said to the bramble, You come and reign over us. And the bramble said to the trees, If in truth you anoint me as king over you, then come and take shelter in my shade. But if not, let fire come out of the bramble and devour the cedars of Lebanon. So Jotham. He is also one of Gideon's brothers, but he escapes. Apparently, he's the lone survivor out of this, this massacre. He escapes the slaughter and tries to reason with the people about what a bad man Abimelech is, and he uses a parable. Now, you have an olive tree, we have the fig tree, and we have the vine that gives the grapes. Uh, they all had something of value to offer, and they felt it wouldn't be worth giving up their what they had a value to offer just to kind of reign over the trees. However, the bramble, which is, if you look up bramble, is a thorn bush. Um, it's really a nuisance. I have brambles all over my yard, and, you know, you just, all you get is your legs cut up, and I come out of the woods after doing something, and I, I, I'm like, Lord, I just feel like pouring gasoline on it, and just, but then I'm afraid I'll burn the forest down, so I don't do that. But bramble is worthless, um, and, you know, there are some brambles, different species, that can give you, um, you know, some berries and stuff like that. But for the most part, it's, it's, it's worthless. There's not much to offer you. 
But the bramble deceitfully promises to protect and provide shade, which we know is a false promise because a bramble can't provide any shade, right? So it shows what he's trying to say here is he's trying to say, guys, look at the emptiness of Abimelech's promise to lead. And as we go further, we're going to see more of this parable actually becomes prophetic. Verse 16. Now, therefore, if you have acted in truth and sincerity in making Abimelech king, and if you have dealt well with Jerubbabel and his house, and have done to him as he deserves, for my father fought for you. Of course, he's speaking of Gideon, his father. Risked his life and delivered you out of the hand of Midian. But you have risen up against my father's house this day and killed his 70 sons on the stone and made Abimelech, the son of his maidservant, king over the men of Shechem because he is your brother. He's holding these people accountable for what some of them did to his brothers. So he's saying you guys collectively and corporately have have blood on your hands. Verse 19, if then you have acted in truth and sincerity with Jerubbabel, and with his house this day, then rejoice in Abimelech, and let him also rejoice in you. But if not, let fire come from Abimelech, and devour the men of Shechem and Beth Milo. And let fire come from the men of Shechem, and from Beth Milo, and devour Abimelech. And Jotham ran away and fled, and he went to Beer, and dwelt there, for fear of Abimelech his brother. So, again, he's holding them responsible for the death of his uh, brothers, um, and fire, we know, is always a sign of or a judgment in the scripture. Uh, so we're going to see that not only is judgment going to come to the Shechemites, but judgment is also going to come to Abimelech. Verse 22. After Abimelech had reigned over Israel three years, God sent a spirit of ill will between Abimelech and the men of Shechem. And the men of Shechem dealt treacherously with Abimelech, that the crime done to the seventy sons of Jerubbabel might be settled and their blood be laid on Abimelech their brother who killed them and on the men of Shechem who aided him in the killing of his brothers and the men of Shechem set men in ambush against him on the tops of the mountains and they robbed all who passed by uh, along them them along the way and it was told Abimelech so you see now it's just kind of interesting God sends a spirit of ill will between these um, these conspirators so he's, he's actually kind of breaking them up at this point to the point where now uh, Abimelech has, I guess, supplies and caravans that are coming across. And the Shechemites now, all of a sudden, they don't like their new leader. And it took three years, and they're starting to raid the caravans. So this is, this is creating a problem. So, I'm sure those three years probably seem like an eternity. We know in the Proverbs that, you know, it says the people groan when there's a wicked king. And there's all these proverbs about a wicked king and how the, the people suffer under that leadership. So these three years probably seem like an eternity. And it's interesting that the wheels of God's justice turn slowly, but eventually they achieve their purpose. Uh, so we, we're going to see that start to happen there. Psalm 34:21, really interesting. Evil shall slay the wicked, and those that hate the righteous shall be condemned. So all those who, who, who conspire these, these deeds and, and speak in the darkness and you know, do those evil deeds Jesus spoke about in the darkness, eventually their turn will come because God is the God of justice. All right? Justice isn't forgotten because of the cross, only because Jesus took the sins of the world on the cross that those who receive him can... There's still justice. Jesus actually received that, that judgment, that justice. And he took it on our behalf. So... But make no mistake, there will be the great white throne judgment for the unbelievers. There will be uh, a reckoning. Even God's people get um, 
punished at times when they're in willful sin and disobedience. So God is the God of justice. However, those who are just wicked and refuse to come to God, even more justice comes to them. I mean, big time, all right? Okay. Verse 26. Now Gaal, the son of Ebed, came with his brothers and went over to Shechem. So now we, we have another character here. We have Gal. We have Abimelech. We saw Jotham. Now this guy Gal comes on the scene. Uh, he comes with his brothers and went over to Shechem. And the men of Shechem put their confidence in him. Probably just desperate for somebody else but Abimelech. You know, pretty much anybody who comes by, anyone's going to look better at this point than Abimelech. So they went out into the field and gathered grapes from their vineyards and trod them and made merry. And they went into the house of their God and ate and drank and cursed Abimelech. Then Gal, the son of Ebed, said, Who is Abimelech and who is Shechem that we should serve him? Is he not the son of Jerubbabel? And is not Zebul his officer? Serve the men of Hamor, the father of Shechem. But why should we serve him? If only this people were under my hand, then I would remove Abimelech. So he said to Abimelech, increase your army and come out. So they have this guy, Gal, who kind of uh, puts out a, a challenge at this point. So Gal enters, and uh, this is what happens with sin. When, when sin starts, sometimes it seems like people are getting away with stuff, doesn't it? You see the political world, you see a lot of corruption in New Jersey, uh, you see the world stage, uh, and it just looks like everybody's getting away with stuff. But a lot of world leaders, a lot of people on this side of eternity, eventually it does come around to them. They end up becoming confident, overconfident, they trip themselves up and they start getting themselves in trouble. And even if that isn't the case, we know that God is a God of, of again, justice. He will make sure that he corrects all the wrongs uh, over human history. Verse 30. When Zebul, the ruler of the city, heard the words of Gal, the son of Ebed, his anger was aroused. So here's another character, Zebul. He's a ruler of the city, and as we'll see, he's the mole. He's, um, <laughs> yeah, he likes Abimelech. So you got, again, everybody's stabbing, it's like one of these crazy movies. Everybody's stabbing each other in the back. They're all conspiring against each other. So Zebul comes into the mix. And he sent messages to Abimelech secretly saying, Take note, Gal, the son of Ebed, and his brothers have come to Shechem, and here they are, fortifying the city against you. Now therefore get up by night, you and the people who are with you, and lie in wait in the field. And it shall be as soon as the sun is up in the morning that you shall rise early and rush upon the city. And as soon as he and the people who are with him come out against you, that you may do to them as you find an opportunity. Okay, so Zebul is warning uh, Abimelech of Gal's coup. Verse 34. So Abimelech and all the people who were with him rose by night and laid in wait against Shechem in four companies. When Gal, the son of Ebed, went out and stood in the entrance to the city gate, Abimelech and the people who were with him rose from lying in wait. And when Gal saw the people, he said to Zebul, Look, people are coming down from the tops of the mountains. But Zebul said to him, Remember, he's the mole, he says, you see the shadows of the mountains as if they were men. So Gal spoke again and said, see, people are coming down from the center of the land and another company is coming from the Divinish Terebinth tree. Then Zebul said to him, where indeed is your mouth now which with you said, who is Abimelech that we should serve him? Are not these people whom you despised? Now go out, if you will, and fight with them now. So <laughs> Zebul tricks this guy and uh, now the uh, Abimelech uh, supporters kind of got the jump on Gal and you see this, this battle take place 
So Gal went out leading the men of Shechem and fought with Abimelech. And Abimelech chased him and he fled from him. And many fell wounded even to the entrance of the gate. Then Abimelech dwelt at Arumah and Zebul drove out Gal and his brothers so that they would not dwell in Shechem. There's kind of a, a saying, I don't know where it came from, I should have Googled it, because I kind of Google a lot of sayings, and you can find out where they came from, but there's a saying that goes, if you plot to kill the king, you better kill the king. You know? Look at these uh, Central American countries, right? When they try to overthrow, I mean, it's actually not funny, it's pretty sad. Uh, let's see, with Castro, when the, I guess the Bay of Pigs, when they try to overthrow Castro, um, he tortured those people. And this happens in so many countries. If you plot to kill the king, you better make sure you carry it out, because then the king's going to be ornery, and he's going to get you. So, you see now judgment is starting to fall on the Shechemites. Okay, so here's the first phase of the judgment. Shechemites are getting theirs. Right? We're going to see it happens to Abimelech too. Verse 42. And it came about on the next day that the people went out into the field, and they told Abimelech. So he took his people, divided them into three companies, and laid in wait in the field. A lot of sneaky people. They're always laying wait against somebody else. And he looked, and there were the people coming out of the city, and he rose against them and attacked them. Then Abimelech and the company that was with him rushed forward and stood at the entrance of the gate of the city, and two other companies rushed upon all who were in the field and killed them. So Abimelech fought against the city all that, all, I'm sorry, all that day. He took the city and killed the people who were in it, and he demolished the city and sowed it with salt. A lot of, a lot of vengeance, uh, you know, in these days and you know even today you see again some of these coups some of these power struggles and a lot of times the new leaders or whoever is victorious really takes vengeance and there's just a lot of suffering in our world let's face it I mean look what's going on with Russia and Georgia right uh, Georgia want to become part of NATO Georgia like Ukraine and Poland and, and Latvia and a lot of these other countries said, you know, we want democracy. We stand with the Western. We don't want to be part of Russia. So what do they do when they get their first? And there's a lot of speculation about what just recently happened with this Russian invasion, that it was all set up and they were all staged because they came in so quickly and so overwhelming. And Russia is a huge country that spans 11 time zones. Anyway, bottom line is all the truth will come out. But, I mean, the Georgians... The Russians said, oh, yeah, yeah, we're not going to bomb you anymore. They're bombing apartment buildings. They're just massacring these people. They're going to get them good for breaking their alliances and, and trying to go into NATO because the Russians don't want that. So you see that every day, Africa, you know, all the countries there, people, there's a coup. Um, you know, you saw what happened in Somalia. Just vicious what they do to their own people. Okay, so you see it in the Bible. You see it today. Mankind hasn't changed. Mankind is a vicious animal. That's why we need a Savior. And if we don't do it outrightly, we do it in our hearts. And that's the truth. So, now the whole thing with sowing with salt. Sowing with salt, um, it was indicative of putting a curse. You know, they would, I mean, they slaughtered the people. They went into the city. A lot of these cities were gated. They end up getting into the city when the people come out. They lie in wait. They rush the city, the inhabitants. Again, a mass, a mass slaughter. But uh, what they would do is they would take salt and they would throw it on the fields and it was a sign of a curse. However, if you study chemistry, you know that if you put enough salt in any field, it makes the ground useless to grow crops. All right? I believe it acidifies it and changes the chemical composition of, of the ground. So it's not, you know, to make something uh, too salty is not a good thing. So I don't know, did they bulldoze salt in there or they just do a symbolic? I'm not really sure. 
But either way, uh, they didn't want these people even to have crops to support themselves afterwards. Verse 46. Now, when all the men of the Tower of Shechem had heard that, they entered the stronghold of the temple of the god Bereth. And it was told Abimelech that all the men of the Tower of Shechem were gathered together. Then Abimelech went up to Mount Zalman, he and all the people who were with him. And Abimelech took an axe in his hand and cut down a bow of the, tr- the bow from the trees and took it and laid it on his shoulder. Then he said to the people who were with him, What you have seen me do, make haste and do as I have done. You know what just struck me now as I read this? Gideon did the same thing, his father, but he did it for righteousness. Remember Gideon? He goes up. They got their swords on their belts. He's got the clay jars. He's got the the lanterns in the clay jars. He's got the trumpets. And he says to his men, because he's going to fight with the Midianites, he says, whatever I do, watch what I do. And a good person who's subordinate to their leader shouldn't ask too many questions and just do what the leader says. And when when they were all on the top of the mountain, they surrounded the Midianites. They broke the the clay jugs. The the lanterns came out. They blew the trumpets, scared the heck out of... uh, you know, the Midianites, it was a psychological thing, plus God was on their side, and the Midianites didn't stand a chance. Now, again, this just hit me now as I'm reading this, his son, Abimelech, who's wicked, says the same thing. Whatever you see me do, do. Chops down a bow from the tree, puts it over his shoulders, starts carrying it, all his, his guys, subordinates, they don't ask questions, they cut down the bow from the trees, and they carry it. So they're all doing what their leader's saying. Again, he's an evil leader. They have to know this, but they're following the, in its wickedness. So each of the people likewise cut down his own bow and followed Abimelech, put them against the stronghold, or the fortified tower there, set the stronghold on fire above them, so that all the people of the tower of Shechem died, about a thousand men and women. So Abimelech... He doesn't care, men, women, and children. He doesn't care. These people, he's irritated with them. They, they, you know, they're, they're, they hole up in a, a stronghold. He's like, I'll fix their wagon. You know, no negotiations. Put a bunch of wood around there, light it on fire, burn them out. That's what this guy does. He has no mercy. His only goal in life is a thirst for leadership. Many in leadership positions in the world care nothing about their, the people, only they're looking for prestige and titles. And again, going back to the world's leaders, whether it's Somalia, whether it's uh, Iran, whether it's especially North Korea, um, North Korea is so bad that the North Koreans are fleeing over the Tumen River eastward, uh, or was it, no, westward, into China uh, because things are so bad. People, there's reports of people eating other people because the military is well fed, but everybody else is starving in North Korea. So the Chinese are actually, um, the government kind of tries to push them back over. You can follow all this in the voice of the martyrs. But the point is, there's some men that are so wicked and have such a desire for power, and they don't care about their people. They want to take over, they have control over the military, they, they, they put down any uprising, and, you know, Hitler did it. You know, all these guys did it. Pretty wicked. What's interesting, too, is sometimes even in ministry, and you can see some of these ministry positions under the guise of Christianity, uh, there are those who want to rise up and just want to have these prestige, these titles. They want to just take control, and they're not really concerned about the flock. And we've talked about that Sunday, uh, feeding the flock versus fleecing the flock. You know, those in, some in ministry want to give, and some in ministry want to take from the people. And it's a shame.
So, going back to Jotham's parable, remember in verse 15 where he talked about the fire truly coming out of the, uh, the bramble? And you can almost see this actually happening. Uh, so his prophecy is coming, coming true. Uh, a few things. He talked about the cedars of Lebanon, I believe. Um, yeah, let the fire come out of the bramble and devour the cedars of Lebanon. A lot of time the trees can have different representations. One of the meanings is uh, the trees could be the elders or the stately people that agreed with the plan uh, and, and they were, they were uh, taken over. Or two literal cedars that were used to build the city walls and the towers and the strongholds that Abimelech destroyed. Uh, so Abimelech does this thing. Now, you know what I could think of in our society? And, and it's kind of, I don't know, it's not a real good one-for-one one analogy, but just uh, carnage, just not caring for the people. Uh, when, when I remember, actually I was on my way to Superior Court at the time, and uh, the, the, the planes in September 11 hit the towers, and uh, you know the towers just were, became an inferno, and people were jumping off the towers to avoid uh, burning to death because the, the heat was so uh, brutal. Uh, and, and thousands of people were killed. But in, I believe it says here that a thousand men and women died in this tower. That's a lot of people. So if you think about what was going on, uh, this must have been a very impressive tower. And I know I'm going off on a tangent, but we, think, we sometimes tend to think that the ancient peoples were ignorant, but they weren't. If you ever follow the ziggurats, right? The ziggurats, people's attempt to reach God, and it's like a stairway around the, uh, a building and it just keeps going. They just build them higher and higher and higher. They could be hundreds if not higher in feet. So people back then were not stupid. They built this incredible tower. It was able to hold a thousand people. And um, Abimelech, of course, burns it, probably gleefully watching the people go up in flames. And um, it's pretty awful. So I would almost say that the guy was a forerunner to a terrorist. Verse 50. Then Abimelech went to Thebes, and he encamped against Thebes and took it. So he, this guy's motivated. He's, he's not satisfied with the one tower. Now he goes to another place. Uh, he, he's going to have his, his pound of flesh. He's seething with, with, with vengeance coming out of his, you know, seething it. And it says, but there was a strong tower in the city, and all the men and women, all the people of, of the city, fled there and shut themselves in. Then they went up to the top of the tower. So Abimelech came as far as the tower and fought against it, and he drew near the door of the tower to burn it with fire. So he does the same thing. He's got this other tower, people are fleeing to it. He wants them dead too. But check this out. <laughs> but a certain woman, <laughs> I guess they were, had, uh, this tower was so big they had the capability to make wheat and grind the mill, uh, grinding at the mill. It says a certain woman dropped an upper millstone on Abimelech's head and crushed his skull. <laughs> this is great. I love it. Then he called quickly to the young man, his armor-bearer, and said to him, Draw your sword and kill me, lest men say of me, a woman killed him. What a goofball. Instead of repenting in his last breath, he's just concerned about how it's going to look. It's such a shame. So his young man thrust him through and he died. And when the men of Israel saw that Abimelech was dead, they departed every man to his own home. I try to make the Bible fun and exciting, especially these Old Testament stories. So Abimelech, again, he uses the same plan, and uh, this woman, unnamed woman, heroine, uh, finally ends the reign of this awful man. Uh, if you ever watch, see a, a millstone, some of these things can be really big. I don't know if she rolled it out the window, and it, just the right spot, hit him in the head. Uh, obviously, it, 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 it didn't get him completely because he still was able to talk, and, you know, but he knew he was dying. I mean, his head was crushed, right? 
has anybody ever taught like this before? <laughs> you know, really going into detail. So you, you got to get this picture. It's, you know, but anyway. Um, but he would be disgraced back then for many reasons. And I'll just go through them. One, he was killed by a millstone and not a sword. Not a very valiant way to die in battle. Uh, two, a woman killed him. From his own words, remember, was it Sisera? Uh, that young girl, Yael, she, she thrust the temp pe peg through his head, right? Um, a woman killed him. Three, it was a tactical blunder. I mean, it will go down as military blunders. You ever see that show? Um, and four, he wasn't killed in battle. It wasn't glorious. Again, what's tragic is, with his last breaths, this is tragic, he doesn't repent. He just is concerned about how his, uh, his, his legacy is going to look, right? Sad. 56. Thus God repaid the wickedness of Abimelech, which he had done to his father by killing his 70 brothers. And all the evil of the men of Shechem, God returned on their own heads, and on them came the curse of Jotham, the son of Jerubbabel. So in the end, God repays everyone's wickedness. Justice is always served in the end. There's a proverb, 21.12, that says, The righteous God wisely considers the house of the wicked, overthrowing the wicked for their wickedness. If that doesn't sum it up, right? The moral of the story is, if you spread enough evil, it'll eventually catch up to you. And also, that God's justice is, is good. And I think we live in an age, especially in the East Coast, where even... The Christian church is being dictated by the media, right, the politically correct media, how we should be Christians. You know, vengeance is mine, says the Lord, not an eye for an eye. You know, Jesus said, love your enemies. Obviously, if we're going to be dictated how we should believe, okay, by the media, who doesn't do their homework, we're pathetic as Christians. God's justice is good and it's righteous and it's fair. That's why none of us are put in charge of justice, because we would do things based on our own biases. We all have those. Uh, but it, justice is a good thing. Judgment is a good thing. And actually, we don't deserve anything as Christians. We deserve hell like everybody else. But Jesus came. He loved us enough to willingly be nailed to that tree, to willingly shed his blood, to die for our sins. So, in a sense, we also get the justice and judgment, but it's, it's deferred because Jesus said, I'll pay for that. I'll put that on my account. I'll take it. And he would do that for all the world if they were willing to do that. Um, and then one other thing, the third point, the last point is John chapter 10, the shepherd versus a hireling. This is a great, great picture of what not to do in leadership and what not to do in ministry. And I think anything that in the Bible talks about leadership, we could also bring over to ministry. It's good that we see good examples of ministry and leadership, but we also see bad examples so that we as human beings, as people that love God, can say, do I model after the good and not model after the bad? And that's something that we should all take into account. Let's pray.